Hey everyone, and welcome to Shadow Self the Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bearden, mental wellness specialist and owner of Shadow Mind Mental Wellness, www.yourshadowmind.com. And I want to welcome you to episode three of our second season. And this episode is entitled The Spiritual Enneagram. But before we get into that, I wanted to just recap that last week we talked a little bit about how we can overparent right now in today's modern society and what the Enneagram looks like when you are a parent. And so that leads me into a little bit about spirituality because when we think of a higher power, we think of, at least I used to, we think of a dictator, right? We think of uh, this overall puppet master trying to control our every last move. Now, those of you who listen regularly may have heard me say this, but if you would have told me six years ago that I would be leading a podcast on the topic of spirituality, I would have laughed in your face and told you to piss off. And I say this because I'm sure there are many of you out there who can relate. In fact, there are some people who saw the topic and probably chose not to listen to this podcast because it was discussing spirituality, which oftentimes gets confused with religion. They are not necessarily mutually exclusive, but you do not necessarily need one to have the other. So to ease you in, I want to tell you a bit more about my story and how I got here. For about 10 years, I was a devout atheist. And I say that with dripping irony because atheists do actually believe in something. We believe, or well, they believe in themselves and the universe in just never-ending chaos. There's really no meaning to anything. We just spin around in orbit until we die. Sure, we have high points and low points and joys and sadness and anger and everything that goes with being human. Atheists still feel just the same way everybody else does. You know, I find it fascinating that many of the atheists I run across online or in real life are drawn towards the sciences, and or if they're not scientists themselves. And you wouldn't think that a scientist or people who are science-minded would have such cemented views on life. You see, to be a proper scientist, at least in my view now, one must remain open to the possibilities, particularly the possibility of being wrong. Because your theory could always be proven wrong. That means that you must be humble or have some kind of humility to you. And that's a concept that's also rooted in Christianity, which I practice, along with many of the other world religions. So there has to be something to that concept, right? That concept of humility and being humble and accepting that you could be wrong. Now, I was one of those science-minded individuals, like I said. And prior to those 10 years where I was a practicing atheist, I did practice spirituality. And I wasn't sure what religion really was right for me then, but I understood that the universe was intrinsically connected, and it still is. And it really wasn't until things started going wrong in my life that I really turned my back on the concept of God. A lot of it was leading up to and during my marriage that the concept of God had just become all but non-existent to me. Now, I was raised believing that the world was chaos and it was every man for himself. Can't rely on others, blah, 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 blah. But that never really worked out. And what had been working out pretty well for me was doing the exact opposite, going with the flow, just letting things take their natural course. And I really didn't figure that out until my late teens and early 20s. And by that time, I was pretty free-spirited. Life ebbed and flowed. It kind of felt like that episode of Seinfeld, you know, where Kramer deems Jerry even Steven. Like he throws that $20 out the window and sooner or later, uh, Jerry finds $20 within his car or jacket pocket or however that played out. I don't remember the episode exactly, but things just had a way of working out. 
However, when I started expecting life to work out because I was following its plan is when I became disillusioned. Now, here's the difference. Life was working out when I just let it happen. But then I had an expectation. I thought life should work the way it was supposed to work when I operated within the confines of our society. And that's how I became disillusioned. You know, I was going to school. I was pursuing a career. And both things I had rejected vehemently, um, you know, prior to about 2006. But the one thing I was always trying to do is also find a partner. And I was now doing what everyone expected me to do and started getting miserable the more I did what I was told was the right thing. Because the less things worked out, the more frustrated I got, the more disillusioned I became. I was trying to follow a path others laid before me as opposed to the one I was meant to follow. I started forcing it, beginning with my marriage. My whole shift in perspective shook my worldview in such a way I'm still feeling aftershocks. The relationship with my ex-wife was already rocky to start and had very little support on both sides. But even though the relationship from the beginning wasn't going well, I persevered because that's what you did. You pushed through the bad times and ignored the naysayers. But I had no idea how to do that in a healthy manner. So the fighting really started getting intense before we were even married. And now my parents, they just argued and trudged through things. And I thought that was just how it was done. You fought, you argued, but at the end of the day, it is what it is, right? But her parents, when that happened, when they fought and argued and things got bad, and other things led to this, but we all know that there is an underlying issue already when a divorce is being brought up. And so her example was, things got tough, boom, it splits a bill. Not exactly a healthy mix for conflict resolution, but I was so tired of relationships not going well, and I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing for the first time, so this should be working out for me, right? Wrong. Because instead of using the warnings and other signs as guideposts they were meant to be, I treated them as the opposition to my happiness. Ultimately, the tighter I held on, the faster things declined. This bled into my professional life and my relationship with other people. I kept trying to hold on to this illusion of having control over the path life takes me down. And as anyone who's hit an ice patch on the road can tell you, the tighter you grip that wheel and try to stop, the more out of control you become. It's the same concept in life. I'm not saying you have to be a Christian like me. I'm also not saying you have to practice any sort of religion. But what I am saying is we need to concede there is an intelligent designer at work, and we are not in complete control of our journey. We have a creator who is helping us down the path he has programmed for us. But since we are free thinking and can adapt, we don't always follow the path. Now, who do you think has a better view of the bigger picture? The programmer at the 50,000 foot view or the program at the ground level view? I'm going to wager your answer was the same as mine. We can't see everything, therefore we must trust someone who can help us. Not control us, but guide us along the path laid before us. And that was a difficult journey for me to accept at first. During my divorce, I met a girl who challenged my view on God and religion. She was a devout-ish Catholic and believed in God and Jesus and the whole principle of Christianity. She asked me, what are you going to teach your son about religion? if you're yourself not religious or going to church? And that was an easy answer because I'd always said that I would let my kid choose for him or herself whether or not to practice any kind of spirituality or religion because I think it's a deeply personal thing for most people. And just because I believe something doesn't mean that you have to. However, we both knew that my ex-wife is at best a CNE practitioner 
when it comes to religion. So he wasn't going to get a lot of exposure to it over there either. And then she countered with, well, how will your son know what to choose if he's never exposed? And that kind of hit me weird. I conceded that we probably should explore the idea of church and came upon North Heartland Community Church here in Kansas City. And I immediately felt at home. It isn't a fire and brimstone church or one where the pastor slash priest talks above you in biblical and religious terms you don't understand. The way I describe it is it took a secular approach to Christianity, which is really an oversimplification of it. But the pastor, Rick McGinnis, along with his staff, go out of their way to make you feel welcome without any kind of judgment. And that's what a church should be. So I listened. And the more I listened, the more I learned, and the more I studied. I found out that the Bible, while good for morality, has real roots in history. Many of the stories in the Bible can be independently confirmed in secular writings of the time. If you want to choose that path, I strongly suggest looking into Lee Strobel and C.S. Lewis as jumping off points. They too are former atheists who were converted to Christianity after, you know, investigating it further. All of this to say is that you have good news. You are not alone. Some said at the time, which I do believe now, this was God's way of smacking me in the face, reminding me there is something out there greater than myself helping lay the path. You see, the way God works can be commonly misunderstood. Sure, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, etc., 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 and one would think that would negate the concept of free will. But that's not the case. God is more like a parent than a dictator. He has guidelines for you to live by, rules if you want to continue living in harmony with him, but he understands we have free will and does not engage in a tug of war. It's like when I tell my friends when I try to do something on my own, despite all signs pointing me not to do it, it's like I'm in a tug of war with God. But at some point, he just stops pulling at the rope and lets go. Naturally, you just fall on your butt and maybe you learned a lesson. First few times I didn't, but to each his own. Everyone learns differently. I'm a little more bullheaded than most. But God doesn't care about control. We do. We want to think we have all the control, which is arrogance at its finest if you really think about it. We think we know best. But I'm going to go out on a limb saying the guy who's seen this play repeat with different actors over millennia might have a slight advantage in that category. But like any loving parent, he'll let us make our own decisions and mistakes and watch us fall. He'll be there to help pick us up if we ask him to. But he's not going to hold our hand the whole time. We're such a proud species that the more we know about science, the less we think we need spirituality or any kind of religion. And that's completely wrong, totally off base. They coexist rather than exist separately from each other. We think in such black and white terms. If it's this, then it's that. If it's not this, then it can't be that. But what we need to come to understand is we have a both and world, not an either or world. We live in the gray. Just because one thing is true doesn't automatically disprove the other. And that's how spirituality and science can reconcile with each other. Now that we are understanding things at the quantum level, we see spirituality and science merging. Uh, there was an article I was reading recently where a physicist tested against AI if we were actually living in some kind of a simulation. And turns out we most likely are. And that further supports our theory of human and AI. Now, before you go all Neo and decide whether or not you want to take the blue or the red pill, let's continue to explore what each pill is and what it means to take it. In our scenario, the blue pill rep represents serenity of knowing there's a higher power, and the red pill re represents chaos, resisting the notion one exists. Through my eyes, we've seen what the red pill is capable of. A lot of destruction, a lot of broken relationships, a lot of self-loathing. 
So let's see what that blue pill has to offer. Now, if you've made it this far without flipping off the podcast, then I assume you're ready to hear what a higher power means. All it means, as far as spirituality is concerned, is the universe was created. Simple as that. The universe and everything in it was created. The Big Bang Theory even supports that hypothesis. We didn't just appear. Something happened. An event happened that caused everything to expand and create. It was a chain reaction that caused all life in the universe to begin. And we Christians call that Big Bang God. And we recognize that time and space exist differently on different planes of existence. So I want to be clear that just because we hear the story of the universe being created in seven days doesn't mean seven human days. Doesn't even mean it took seven days. And I don't want to get too deep into the philosophical and quantum speak, but this is where science and spirituality overlap. And there are other examples, like the uh, story I mentioned earlier about the physicist talking about reality as a simulation. To go further down that rabbit hole, as I've mentioned before, we here at Shadowmind consider the Enneagram to essentially be part of the human AI within that simulation. The Enneagram powers of the defense strategy. We have partially identified how the downstairs brain functions in personality and the motivations that influence our behavior. That doesn't mean you're in a box, though, and we'll get into that here in just a minute. But the sciences are finding more support for the idea of an intelligent designer. That much is apparent. We didn't get here by accident. We aren't random atoms floating around in a slowly expiring meat sack. Something designed us. I personally call that something God. And I follow Christianity as my spiritual path. And that may not be for you, and that's okay. But the idea of a creator offers us what the world can't. And that's hope. Hope not only things will get better on the macro level, but at the micro or personal level as well. If I wasn't designed by someone or something to be ever learning and growing and changing, what hope do I have of improving my situation like ever? Neglecting spiritualism is accepting nihilism. That's toxic, not only for your mind, but your heart. The world is hard and cynical, but there's a reason addiction recovery groups like NA and AA encourage people to find their higher power as they understand him. And that last bit is the most important thing for you to take away from this message. You and you alone need to identify, find, and associate with this higher power, however you define it. I'm not here to tell you my spiritual path is the right and only way. Yeah, there's verses in the Bible that point to that. There's verses in the Bible that point to a lot of things, and I can quote them to you if you wish. But that's not the important takeaway here, because what we want to know is what does spirituality have to do with the Enneagram. We need to know that spirituality and understanding that there is an intelligent designer is really the foundation of growth through the Enneagram. So let's break it down. Now, the Enneagram, as we understand it, is a motivation-based personality tool. Now, unlike the Big Five, DISC, Myers-Briggs, et al., the Enneagram does not care about the behavior you exhibit, rather the motivations behind your behavior. We call these the core motivations. And this is an important distinction because it helps us understand that we are not how we behave. And if we believe that, then we can change how we behave. Why? Because it's no longer rooted in our identity. Your identity now belongs to something else entirely. And for me, it's rooted in Christianity or God or whatever you want to call your higher power, right? If we are created in a specific image with machine learning programming, to continue with the AI metaphor, then we have a specific function in this world. In other words, 
we have a purpose because he programmed it in. That doesn't mean we don't have free will though, like I mentioned earlier. If you are at all familiar with AI and machine learning, you know that the whole point is to leave the computer alone with enough data to start making decisions on its own. The hope is that you programmed it well enough that it can function at an optimal level with minimal interference from you, the programmer. Now, if you think about it, parenthood is the same way, right? The younger a person is, the more guidance they need. So a parent is constantly feeding them information to learn from, as are teachers, television, social media, peers, and so on. Now they have all this information, but very little discernment until they learn how to use discernment. Same goes for humans and God, or whatever you want to call your higher power. He's nothing more than a parent, hoping that he's laid before you enough tools and resources for you to be successful, should you choose to be. But the decision is yours. Otherwise, it's like a weird Stockholm Syndrome situation, and no one wants that kind of awkward. We're getting all this information, right? And we still need guidance. As you can see in my example above, doing it on your own, ignoring the existence, or downright antagonizing God, doesn't quite work out the way you hope it does. It's like putting water on a grease fire when you don't know any better. You think it should help, but you're just making the situation worse. You need better discernment, and that's where the Enneagram comes into play. As you grow up, your defense strategy is always learning, always adjusting, always keeping you safe. But with the overload of information, you can see it doesn't always have the right information, so it can become buggy or even slow down. Once you were able to make decisions in the moment, and it, you, now you need like three or four days and possibly a Xanax before deciding if you should cross the street to get the mail. And that should be signs that you're sick and need healing. When a computer slows down, you take it to Geek Squad or your IT department or whoever to speed it back up, right? You don't just let the bugs keep coming in and slowing it down and making it harder and harder on the machine to operate, do you? I don't. Do you just let yourself get sick with the flu and not take any kind of relief medicine or fever reducer? Do you not take any steps to try and alleviate your symptoms? I do. Why should our minds and our souls be any different? Now, there's a cool lyric in a song by Matthew West, and the song's called Truth Be Told. Listen to it if you want, um, but I'm going to quote it here for you. It's, because if we lived like there was truth, every Sunday morning pew would be crowded. But didn't you say the church should look more like a hospital, a safe place for the sick, the sinner, and the scarred, and the prodigals? And I love the way that always kind of hits me, right? It shows you that there's a place for hope and a place for growth and a place for healing. And when we talk about church, when it was mentioned as the church, it's actually what's called the ecclesia. And this is a cool little term that just means like a group of people, right? It doesn't mean a building. It just means a group of people gathering together that all believe in the same thing. They all believe in this higher power. But the point here is there's hope for growth and change. God isn't out to control us. He isn't going to spank us when we're bad either. He can see the way we do that well enough on our own. He wants us to succeed. He tries to set us up to succeed. But we often get bucky and don't know how to fix it. And then we start getting in our own way. But believing in the Enneagram means believing in intelligent design. So by embarking on this journey, you've already accepted you are not in complete control of your situation. Just your actions and your reactions. And those can be adjusted when you understand your Enneagram number, or type as we call it. When you understand your motivations and you've accepted that you were programmed a certain way by a higher power, then you know you have a purpose and you were meant for more and maybe just got lost along the way, which is okay. We all do. I'm not saying you have to believe what I believe, but if me telling you I believe in something brings you closer to understanding spirituality 
and that there is an intelligent designer, then I'm then I'm planting the seeds that's going to help you grow. There's all this talk of the Enneagram putting you in a box, but that's nonsense. There are a lot of great sound bites countering that argument. My favorite, the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box. It shows you the box you are already in and how to get out. And that's so true, right? It tells you, hey, this is what your type looks like, and this is how to make it look better. Beth McCord of your Enneagram coach says each number is kind of like a color, right? And every color has a variety of shades to it. Enneagram types are the exact same way. While there are nine main types, each type looks a little different. They all have different colors. And within each of those types, they have different shades of that color. All the Enneagram really does is help you understand that type's motivation and how to navigate the shadow parts of yourself in a healthy manner. And that's what we do here at Shadow Mind Mental Wellness. We don't push the idea of higher power onto you. We do both spiritual and secular coaching on the Enneagram. But most people who start in the secular path end up on the spiritual one. Because without help from a higher power, it feels almost futile to change and grow. It's like you're spinning your wheels, and for what? For a lot of people, when you talk about religion and spirituality, the forgiveness aspect hangs them up, right? They view it as like this Pollyanna attitude, particularly with Christians. And politicians have turned prayer into such an empty platitude, and that's got us even more separated from the fact that there is a higher power. But forgiveness and compassion are not weaknesses. Prayer isn't just empty words. They're strengths. And those who can forgive can remove the toxicity and resentment from their heart in order to grow into a more emotionally and spiritually mature person. One of my clients was actually asking me about the concept of forgiveness against people who have caused unspeakable amounts of trauma to you. And it took me a couple of weeks to give her a real thoughtful answer on that. This is hard to do, if not impossible for some, right? Trauma affects us all differently, and yet emotional and spiritual growth demands it along with rigorous honesty of self. You have to walk through the mess. And it's not easy. It never is. And I'm not saying you should run out and forgive every Tom, Dick, and Harry whoever wrongs you. But forgiving that person isn't for them. It's not letting them off the hook for what they did. It's not saying they get a pass. It's not showing you as a doormat. It's showing you have compassion and empathy. It's showing you understand they are acting the way they are because of their own past and trauma and baggage. The same as you. But in order to do any of that, you have to be able to forgive yourself first. You have to forgive yourself for being in that situation. Except it wasn't your fault or your character or you as a person that put you there. It was them. And more often than not, that takes years and years of therapy. And even then, there's no guarantee. At least not without spirituality in your corner. Trusting that there is something greater than yourself handling everything for you behind the scenes is a powerful tool to have in your tool belt. And while that doesn't always look the way you want it to, doesn't mean it's not being done for you. That's why people don't believe prayer works. But we have to give up on the notion that only we understand how everything should look and that we should understand how it works. We have to give up the idea that we know what we're doing and that we can see the whole forest because we can't. We only see our little part of a larger ecosystem. Well, I don't want to look stupid or be wrong, Tim. Well, why not? That's your pride speaking. Who cares what other things about it? At the end of the day, you have two choices. 
The first is believing in something and having hope for a much brighter future now and after you're gone. The blue pill. The other is believing the world is nothing but chaos and we're all just born dying. We're all just atoms floating around in meat sack pointlessly until we get snuffed out of this earth. The red pill. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to invite that guy to any of the parties. I'm inviting the guy who took the blue pill. The guy who's full of love and hope. If you want to be that person who gets invited to the party, then take a chance on the Enneagram. Learn more about it. Dive into what it means. Take some tests. But understand those tests are only 80% accurate, and sometimes you need a coach to help you through it. We at Shadow Mind want to be that person helping you. We want to help you light up those shadow parts within yourself and use them rather than ignore they exist. Those shadow qualities don't have to be negative. If you know how to use them to be the best version of yourself, then those qualities can do you a service. Now, when it comes to spirituality and everything else, I have a little experiment for you guys to try this week. And I really want to hear the results. So when you've done this, I want you to go to our Facebook page and find where we've posted this podcast episode at www.facebook.com slash your shadow mind. So when we listen for our higher powers guidance, he often delivers it in unique ways. One is through music, and that's most often how he tells me what I need to hear for the day, right? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to pull up your Spotify or Pandora or FM, XM, radio, or whatever, just to a random playlist or station, whatever just kind of pops out to you, right? And then listen. Throw it on random, throw it on shuffle, and just listen. The music will start to feel like it was meant for you, and you'll groove along. Oh, this station's playing my jams, or blah, 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 right? You you really get into it to one song. And that song, your whole world feels like a montage or a theme song or whatever. Like it was just meant for you. It speaks to you. And that's the message from your higher power for you to pray on or to meditate for that day. And I want to hear what that song was and what your higher power was trying to convey to you. Leave a comment under this episode. And I can't wait to hear what you've learned. Well, that's all for now. Thanks, everyone, for supporting Shadow Mind Mental Wellness. And don't forget, we have a parenting class coming up on March 21st. It's two and a half hours, and we do have an early bird discount at $24.99. That price jumps to $44.99 the week of the event, and we're only taking 15 registrants. So you better act now, otherwise you definitely pay the price for it later. Within this whole class, we're going to be running over what the Enneagram looks like for a parent. We're going to understand what our kids may look like as Enneagram types and how to speak to them in that manner. We're also going to do a group typing and coaching session. So all for $24.99. Run over to our Facebook page. It's going to be on Facebook Live, www.facebook.com slash your shadow mind under the events tab and join us there. Well, that's all this week, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to wish you a wonderful week again and shine on.